0: I'm going to be speaking to you this morning on the subject, Since the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. Since the blood of Jesus, that alone, let us draw near to God. Hebrews 10 verse 11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, this is is your word. Lord, this is you speaking to all of us. Father, I am nothing more than the mouthpiece that you chose to inspire this word in and I I want to give it to your people. Father, I thank you for what this word means to me. God, I'm asking you that your word would not return to you void. I'm asking you that you would cause it to accomplish the purpose that you're sending it out for. I pray today faith would be increased, God. Father, I pray today that faith would be so full of assurance in your people today that, Lord, the faith has never been this sure. And Father, I pray that, um, Lord, you would just accomplish your purpose, whatever it is. Lord, again, we are completely dependent on you. Lord, we are sinners, we're flesh. Without you, we can do nothing. And so, Father, we ask you right now that you you would come and do your work right now. We love you. We praise you. Forgive us where we fail you, but thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers it all. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that most of you will agree that one of the toughest struggles in the Christian life is maintaining full assurance that I am saved from the wrath of God. You ever have a day to where you question whether you're saved at all? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a, it's a struggle in our lives. And you want to know where that struggle really gets heated? On the deathbed. Or when you think you're on your deathbed. I can't tell you how many people that I have uh, in the ministry for a lot of years, I can't tell you how many people that I've went to them when they thought they were dying, whether it was an emergency room situation or it was a disease that had been lingering on and they, they were on their way to death. But there were so many times that in their minds, the one reason they wanted to talk to me was because I just don't know. I'm just not sure. I don't know. I, it, I, I remember one young lady I was with one night, and, and she thought it was her time, and, and she just kept telling me, I, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. If I go right now, I'm not ready. And at that moment, there's very little that you can do in my shoes at that moment. You can pray with them, you can offer some scripture, but at the end of the day, I cannot give them faith. That's a gift of God. I can't do it. And so it is my prayer that the Bible says faith cometh by what? And hearing what? So it is my prayer this morning that as we open this Word together and we see what God has to say about how He saves you. It is my prayer this morning that you will find faith so full of assurance in your heart. And it is my prayer that you will leave here today with absolute confidence that because of the blood of Jesus, now I'm going to get to it here in a minute, this don't apply to everyone. We're going to find out who the recipients of this blood of Christ actually are. And we're going to see if you fall in that category. But it is my prayer that if you find out that you fall in that category, and I'm going to see, we're going to have a test. You're going to be able to see from your own life whether it's really there. Remember, the Apostle Paul taught many times, don't deceive yourselves. What does it mean to deceive? To lie. Don't lie to yourself. Don't pull the wool over your own eyes. He said, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If he sows to the flesh he shall of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so there are ways that we can look at our life and actually see whether or not the evidence of salvation is there or are we deceiving ourselves. The Bible says that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Why did they call Him Lord? As far as they were concerned, that's who He was, Right? Lord, Lord, have we not done so many things in your name? And yet he says to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There's the key. I never knew you. And so we want to make sure this morning that we fall in the category that is actually covered by the blood of Jesus. Do I have a water? Sorry, my voice is trying to go out on me this morning. Thank you. So today we're going to look at the book of Hebrews and we're going to see where it is that we can find this full assurance so that we can try not to struggle with it as much. How can I know that I have salvation and that when my time comes that I know where I stand with Him? So I want to show you an overview of the book of Hebrews to begin with and give you an idea of what this author is trying to do. Now in... This book, we have a letter that is written to a group of Jewish Christians. That's why all of the um, information in here relates back to the Old Testament law, to the old sacrifices. He's talking to Jewish Christians. And these Christians have been delivered from all of this works based salvation that they've been trying to gain their salvation by doing this and doing this and being better and following God's law and doing all the sacrifices. They've been delivered from that and now they have trusted in Jesus Christ as the once for all sacrifice for all of their sins. But yet, they are slowly beginning to fade away from the trust that Jesus paid it all. And now they are drifting backwards just a little bit going back to, I have to do this and I have to do this and as long as I fulfill this and as long as I sacrifice this then that's how I'm going to be made right with God. And this writer of Hebrews has to address this works based salvation. And so he talks to them about the importance of keeping the faith, of maintaining their confidence of their hope. So, if you will, look at just hold your place in Hebrews 10. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, we must. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, talking about the gospel, lest we drift away from it. So there was a drifting that is taking place and he's concerned about them drifting away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2 he says, "...for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable..." Talking about the Mosaic Law. That's the message that was declared by angels... The gospel was given to us through the Son Himself. But since it proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who have heard. So in other words, this group was not a group that heard directly from Jesus Christ. They were no different than you. They were a group that heard it from a friend who, heard it from a friend who, I don't want to get that song stuck in your head. I just, For some reason, I, sort of, I went going that direction. But anyway, they are not the first-hand recipients of the gospel from Jesus Himself. They have heard it from someone else. And so what you have in, in here is a group of people that are just like you and I. They are just standing on faith alone from the message that they have heard. And then this author comes in and says, Be careful that you don't drift away from this. Because listen, if the law of Moses offered this punishment for neglecting certain things, how much worse punishment do you think those are going to be that neglect this salvation that comes from Jesus Christ Himself? If that was the punishment for the law of Moses... What do you think is going to happen if you neglect faith in Christ? And so we have to be very careful that we don't drift away. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. I'll go through these a little faster. In verse 6 he says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house, or Christ's house. We are His house. If, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So again, he's concerned with them holding fast the confidence and faith, the boasting and the hope that they've got from the gospel. Look at Hebrews 3 verse 14. Or I'm sorry, verse... uh, yeah, verse 14. He says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If you hold on to this faith that He's given you in the gospel then you have actually become a partaker in Christ if you keep holding on to this faith that He's given you. But then let's go on to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you do not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through their faith and patience inherit the promises. Look at uh, Hebrews 10, verse 23. I didn't read that one to you this morning. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So again, here's what we're getting at. This author's primary concern in this book is that you don't drift away back into this, I have to do this and I have to do this, and as long as I'm good enough, then He'll be pleased with me. Don't drift back to that. But instead, hold on to the hope that He's given you. Hold on to the faith that you have. Hold on to the full assurance in Christ and what He has done. One more, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I want you to see, wrap your mind around, because you're going to better understand how to read the book of Hebrews when you get this. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that were drifting back to, I have to do this and do this and do this and I've got to be good enough and as long as I'm good enough, then I'll get there. And this writer comes in with the gospel and he says, pay attention to what you've heard. And that's not what you heard in the gospel. What you heard in the gospel is you can't do it. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And faith in His shed blood is what saves you from your sin condition. And you have absolute confidence and hope in that. Now again, that don't mean that we just keep living the way that we have always lived. No, if that's the case, then it's not faith. Faith always moves you in the direction of your hope. And your hope is not in the world and in sin. Your hope is in Christ and His righteousness. And faith will always move you in that direction. And so keep that in mind as we go through this. Now back to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse starting in verse 11 what you have here is the old covenant now if you are taking notes just write that out first the old covenant is what we learn about first here and this author brings this out he says every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. This writer wants you to understand that when God gave us the law He never gave us the law because that was the way that you are going to be right with Him. The old covenant never was about if you follow this law and you do these sacrifices then you will be saved. That was not the old covenant. The old covenant was that, we are saved, or that, that they were saved the same way that we are, by faith in the promises of God and faith alone. They trusted God. But the evidence of their faith was that we follow this and we give these sacrifices because this is what God is going to do in Christ Jesus. So the Old Covenant says, I trust that God is going to provide a lamb I trust that God is going to pay for my offenses. And so what you have in the Old Testament sacrifices is a drama that's being lived out. Now think about this. When you are baptized, it is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. You do this in order to show the world and to demonstrate that you have been buried with Christ even though physically your body's not being put in a grave yet, but spiritually your old life and your old sins have been buried with Christ and you are rising up in the new life that Christ, that Christ gives us and now Christ is our life and you are rising up to walk in the newness of life that Christ is giving you day after day. It is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Everything that God has ever done in creation has been a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And in the Old Testament law, what you had was a physical picture of a spiritual reality. God gave the law as a physical picture to show you, you have fallen short. See, this is important. I've got a friend of mine that... um, And I hope he listens to this message. But just yesterday... I was scrolling through Facebook for a little bit there and I come to a post that one of my friends put up and and it had the picture of the Ten Commandments. And at the top of it, he put, I guess where you post something, he wrote up above it, he said, I'm sad to say I have broken six, but I, I no, he said, I'm sad to say I have only ever not broken four out of the ten that was that was what was in his mind that's what he's saying and then people started and, and in his response, his uh, ending was something like um but i'm trying to do better then somebody come in writing under him and commented said um, i broke this many myself but i repented made the correction and now i'm getting back on track to following them again and then another person chimed in right at the bottom and, and, and said um I just realized how far short I have fallen, but I am getting back on track to following this. I've got a long ways to go. Now think of the mentality that's going through people's minds today. In other words, the way that God is going to be pleased with me is that I follow this list of commands. As long as I do this, as long as I follow that, Then if I can repent, there was another one that come in and said, I have to ask for forgiveness daily because I break these daily and I have to get back on track and follow this again. Again, the mentality here is as long as I do this and do this and do this and as long as I'm good enough, then I'm going to be right with God. And what you need to understand is that that was never the purpose of the old covenant. When God gave the law, His purpose was to show you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, uh, somewhere around verse 20, I believe, the Bible says, um, No one will be justified by the law in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now think about that. No one is going to be justified by keeping the law in his eyes because it is through that law that comes the knowledge of our sin. So when God gave the law, He wanted—he didn't mean for you to, to all of a sudden you're going to follow this and you're no longer going to lie. You're no longer going to uh, commit adultery. You're no longer going to uh, murder. You're no longer going to... Um, to use the Lord's name in vain. You're no longer going to have other things you worship in this world besides God. No, He knew when He gave that law that that's not what's going to happen. He gave you that law so you could look at it like a mirror and you could see that, oh my goodness, I'm a liar. And Jesus stepped in even further because there would have been some that said, well, I've done pretty good because I've never actually murdered anybody. And Jesus stepped on saying, said... Well, hang on just one minute. You ever had hate in your heart towards your brother? That's murder. So there was always somebody that would step up and say, well, I've done this, but I hadn't done that. And then James comes on the scene and he says, listen, let me tell you something. If you have broken one, you broke the law of God. You broke the law. And the, law, the punishment for one is the same for ten. I don't care how many you keep. I don't care what you do. You are a sinner and the law is evidence against you. You won't stand there with the law in your hand on judgment day and go, God, I did this and I did this and I did this. I fell short of this. I want you to forgive me for these. And that's not going to be the standard of your goodness. That law is going to be a witness against you. And that law is going to say, you are guilty, you are guilty, you are guilty, you are guilty, you are guilty. And so this writer comes on the scene and he says, listen, every priest stands daily at his service and he offers repeatedly the same sacrifices because they gave sacrifices as a picture of what God was going to do in Christ Jesus. And so every year after year they give sacrifices because they're looking forward to this is what God's going to do. This is what God's going to do. And I trust that this is what God's going to do. And this is how He's going to forgive me for my sins. He's going to pay for it with His own lamb. And we're just going through this drama that portrays a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And this priest stands daily, every day at His service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You can do this for the rest of your life. Those animals are never going to cover your sins. Those animals did not cover the sins of the people of the past. All it was was the obedience of faith that I trust and I believe this is what God is going to do. And they did it to portray what God was going to do. The same reason you get baptized today. Your baptism did not save you. But let me tell you what it did do. It was a command from God that was obedience commanded for your faith that says, I believe this is what God has done. God has buried my old life. And God is raising me up to walk in a new life. And I want the world to see This is what God has done. But every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, but they can never take away sins. But then look what you have next. If you're taking notes, the next thing I want you to write is the finished work of Christ. I want you to underline and highlight the word finished. The finished work of Christ. Verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Now I want you to think about what the writer is saying here because he's contrasting something. Remember, the priest stands daily and he offers repeatedly the same sacrifices and they can never take away sins. But Christ offers one sacrifice and does He do it daily? For all time. For all time He offers a single sacrifice and He's not standing daily. What's He doing now? You know why He's sitting down? It's finished. He don't have to come back here and die again because you sin tomorrow? Let me tell you something. If you are covered by His blood, you are covered for your past sins, for your present sins, and for your future sins. God already knew the sins you were going to commit tomorrow when He died for you back then. And what you need to understand is that Christ's work has finished the sacrifice that was needed to take away sins. Remember, the sacrifice, the sacrifices that the priests offered continually as they stood at their service day after day after day, it could never take away sins. That's why they did it day after day after day, because it was not sufficient. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the reason He sat down is because it is finished. It is sufficient. It is enough. And many times in our minds, whenever we don't have full assurance of faith and we're looking at our own goodness and we're thinking, well, because I do this and because I'm not here yet and because I struggle with this and because I have this in my life, then I'm not saved. Then what you're saying is the blood of Christ was not sufficient. It wasn't enough. That's why when we sing songs, Jesus, You are enough. That's what it means. It means, Jesus, You are enough. You are enough for every part of my life, but You are especially enough to take away all of my sins. Let's keep following this writer here to make sure that I stay on track with him. Verse 13, He sat down at the right hand of God, and He is waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. That's what we've been talking about when we studied Revelations. He's at the right hand of the Father right now, waiting. And He's just waiting until the end should come. He's just waiting until He puts every enemy under His feet. Verse 14 here's the reason He sat down. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, He has perfected. You know what it means to be perfect, right? He has perfected for all time, past, present, and future. You are wiped clean from all of your sins. And He says here that He did it by His single offering and that it is for all time. But who are, if you're taking notes, here is the recipients of the finished work. Everybody is not a recipient of the finished work. But he says that for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Do you see the evidence of a changed heart in your life? I'm not saying are you perfect because again it's not about your good works. He has perfected And how did he do it? By a single offering. He did it. He perfected you. So I'm not asking you how good are you. I'm asking you, do you see the evidence that He has changed your heart? Do you see the evidence in your life that you have a desire to be pleasing to Him and yet you still fight with your sin? Anybody there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do you see the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life? In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I think it's around verse 6, the Apostle Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. And he is looking at them in their sin condition. He says, listen, last time I come here, there were people here that were committing all these sins. And he said, and I'm worried because I'm afraid that if they've not repented it may prove that they're not actually in Christ. And so he tells them in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And then he asks a question. Do you know that Christ Jesus lives in you? If all you're doing is living your life daily and you have no concern and no desire to serve God, I'm telling you right now, that's evidence that you are probably not in the faith. That's evidence that God has not come in and given you a new heart. That God has not come in and is renewing your mind. And if you don't see a changing heart and you don't see a renewing mind so that you can learn how to follow Jesus and how to be pleasing to Christ, then the Bible says that's evidence to say that you're probably not there. And so my advice to you is if you don't see that, I don't say that to insult you. I say that to warn you. Get on your knees and pray. And ask God to change your heart. Ask God to renew your mind. And ask God to give you a heart that wants Him. And if you feel that draw right now and you know that you, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit drawing you to Him. And today is your day of salvation. All you should do is humble yourself, surrender to Him, confess that you are a sinner and give your life to follow Christ and watch the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as He changes you. But if you don't see that evidence there, then I'm telling you, you are probably not a Christian. And you will probably hear Him say one day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. But those who are being sanctified, that word sanctified just means being changed, being being perfected, being brought to more Christ-likeness. Now... Some of your versions, if you have the King James Version or you have the New American Standard Bible, it'll translate it that He has perfected all those who are sanctified. Now the problem with that, and if you're in my Wednesday night Bible study class, you'll remember I told you that grammar is very important in studying the Bible. And one of the things that you'll learn is when you go back and you study the Greek word in which we translate are being sanctified or your version may translate are sanctified, that is a verb that is a present tense continuous action. And so what you learn is He's not saying that He has only perfected those who are now already there. That's what I don't want you to get in your mind. I want you to understand that this translation is the fullest meaning of it. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified you see the sanctification process at work in your life. And I'm pleading with all of you this morning, if you don't see God working in your heart, and you don't see God working in your mind, and you don't see Him changing you to become more like Him, I don't care how long you've been going to church, you're not there. You're not there. And again, I don't say that to, to, to cast you out. and I say that to plead with you to plead with you that if that if you're not being sanctified, then this offering of this blood has not been applied to your life. And you need to see that and you need to know that. And you need to humble yourself before Him and cry out to Him, God, give me a heart that is being sanctified. Give me a new heart. Come into my life and teach me Your ways so that I can be sanctified and be more like You. Again, this is not about becoming perfect so that you can be saved. You are saved by the blood of Jesus so that He can make you perfect. And that's the path we're trying to follow. So there we see the recipients of the finished work of Christ. Now let's keep reading in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. So listen, here's what the, the writer in, of Hebrews says. The Holy Spirit is your witness. And there is no better witness to have. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. The only thing He speaks is truth. Nothing that is a lie can come from Him. So whatever He says is absolute truth. So let's see what He says. How does the Holy Spirit bear witness to us? In verse 16, this is what the Holy Spirit said back in Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with them. This is the new covenant. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. In other words, I am going to change their heart and I'm going to change their mind and I'm going to begin sanctifying them and I'm going to begin making them more like me. But then look at verse 17. Then the Holy Spirit adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds when? No more. Guys, I'm a sinner. Sometimes I'm this guy that gets up in the morning and think, "Why in the world should I even try?" Y'all, y'all with me? I mean, maybe maybe I should just quit. I can't get it right. You ever feel that way? I can't. I can't get it right. No matter how hard I try, it seems like I take I take uh, two steps forward and twenty steps backwards. And here's what this writer is saying to you. It was never based on what you do or don't do to begin with. This salvation and this perfection comes through the one time sacrifice of the finished work of Christ, and it covers you forever. And as long as you see God writing His laws on your hearts and on your minds, then the Holy Spirit gives testimony to your salvation as a sinner by saying, I will remember their sins, and their lawless deeds no more. They are removed from them as far as the east is from the west. They are cast to the bottom of the bottomless ocean. As far away from you as they can be removed, they are removed and God Himself is the one that witnesses for you and says, this is my testimony concerning your salvation if you can see the covenant that I've made with you, that I'm writing my laws on your heart, that I'm writing my laws on your mind, and you see this sanctifying work take place in your life, and you can examine yourself and know that Christ is in me, in spite of my sin, Christ is in me, then the Holy Spirit says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. And that is the best news that anybody can ever receive. This author is concerned about you holding fast to this confidence. See, there are people out there today that will teach you, well, I can't be sure if I'm saved. I just have to hope so. Let me tell you something. That is not faith. That is a worldly hope. That's like a, I hope the titan's win and make it to the Super Bowl. But can I be assured of it? No. That's the kind of hope that they're talking about. That's not the kind of hope the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we have a full assurance of hope. Again, not based on what you have done, right? Based on what Christ has done. He wants to to brand that into your minds this morning that your confidence does not come from you. Your confidence comes from Him and His finished work. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Let's keep going. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers. In other words, those therefores are very important. So everything I'm fixing to tell you is based on the foundation of what I just laid, right? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Why do we have confidence? Because Jesus paid it all. His work is finished. And not only is work finished, but the Holy Spirit said. And if the Holy Spirit said it, it's good. I can't dispute it. If I do, I'm calling God a liar. Anybody in here want to call God a liar? Speak now or forever hold you peace. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that's the only reason I can have this confidence, but I have it. Because of the blood of Jesus. And by the new and the living way, not the old covenant, not the way of bulls and rams and and do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. No, the new and the living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so He gives two things that we should have. The first thing He says is that you are to have confidence to come before God. Come into the Holy of Holies where He resides. By the blood of Jesus, nothing else. Not by your good merit. But you ought to have that. And because you have a great high priest over the house of God. Remember what the priest did? The priest was the one that stood between you and God. The only reason you could come to God is because there was one that stood between you and represented you. And he says, we have a great high priest that's over the house of God. And his name is Jesus. And so because these things are true, since these things are true, here is the response. If you're still taking notes, you get the response to the new covenant. The response to the new covenant. Verse 22, here's the response. It's threefold. The first one, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now think about what he says right there. Here's the first thing you do. If you believe that Jesus paid it all, if you believe that He remembers your sins and your lawless deeds no more, if you see the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you know that Christ is in you, he says here's your correct response. Draw near to God. Now, his concern was drifting away from god right everything he's done in this book has been about guys don't drift away from god because what happens normally when you fall into sin do you get closer to god what do you do just last week and they didn't make it this morning i got to check on them just last week i had somebody send me a message and said um we're not going to make it to church today um I can't get this thing right. Apparently they'd had a fight. Any of y'all married couple ever fight? I didn't think y'all did. Apparently this couple had had a fight and it had just got so heated and so so worked up that that they just felt terrible that they couldn't even come to church. Let me tell you what he calls this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of, of what? Faith. Not that I did it all right. Do you know the very time you need to be listening to the Word of God is when you're out. is when you woke up that morning and you didn't get it right. You know the very time I need to be up here preaching the gospel is the very morning that I didn't treat my wife right that morning. And he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. Our hearts are not sprinkled clean because you did it all right. They're sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. And then look what he says. It's clean from an evil conscience. You know where an evil conscience comes from? That conscience you have is your guide. You remember that um, that warning light? I guess the new ones have it. I don't know. But the old vehicles I know used to have this service engine soon light that come on. Remember you put a piece of black tape over it and just keep on driving. Now y'all remember, right? So... That conscience you have is like that service engine soon light. And the whole point of this light that's flashing at you, this conscience that's going, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. You can't get right, you can't get right. The whole purpose behind it is for you to turn back and go, yes, but my heart has been sprinkled clean. And I don't have to have this evil conscience that draws me away from God. But instead, I can let this conscience be the indicator that points me back to the One who can save me. The One who has already paid for it. The One who knew I was going to do that when He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Do you think that all of a sudden He got up this morning and saw you mess up and He went, Good gracious, I never expected that. I just knew they were going to be right from here on out. I just knew they treat their wife exactly the way they're supposed to. Just like Christ treats the church. I, I just knew it. And now, you know what? I'm just... I'm done. Do you really think that that is the way that God looks at you when you are covered by His blood? He knew all of your sins, past, present, and future, when He gave His life on the cross to pay for it 2,000 years ago. He knew it before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. Let your mind soak that one in for a little while. And yet, He still made you. And yet, He still saved you. So, the first response draw near to God with a true heart. And the reason you, the way you have a true heart is by having full assurance of faith. Satan, you can throw this warning to me all you want to. I know what Christ has done for me. I know His blood is covered and I know it's paid it all. And so I'm not going to draw away from God. I'm coming to God because that's what I need. I need God because without Him, I'm hopeless. The second thing, I'll go through these next two a little quicker. He says in verse 23, Let us, and all these begin with let us. Notice that He said, this is your response. Let us do this. The first thing... Let us draw near. we got confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. So get in there. Receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Get in there. It's been paid for. If you don't receive it, what a shame. It's already been purchased. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What does it mean to waver? It means today I'm in, tomorrow I'm out, right? Today He saved me, tomorrow He didn't. Today Jesus is enough, tomorrow He's not. He says, hold fast. That means to be unbent, unyielding, firm. Hold fast the confession of your hope. Your hope was not in that you did everything right, that you're going to get it right from here on out. No, your hope was that the blood of Jesus has covered all of my sins, and that's my only hope, that's my only plea. But because of that, I have confidence to enter the throne room of grace. So let us hold fast this confession of our hope and don't waver. And here's why we don't waver. Listen to us very closely. For he who promised is what? Do you believe that God will do what he said he will do? He who promised is faithful, church. Ronnie, he's faithful. Fagan, he's faithful. He is the one that promised that I will write my laws on their hearts and their minds and I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. And I will be their friend and I will be their God and they will be my children and I will be their father and they will come to me when they need me and I will be with them and I will guide them and I will love them and I will forgive them. He who promised... Is faithful. So the second thing, hold fast your confession of hope. Make sure you keep confessing. Not that you get it all right, but that the blood of Jesus has paid it all. And I am right because of what He's done. The third thing, verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. You know, here's the thing about it. This evil conscience comes from the fact that we don't always pursue love and good works, do we? Sometimes we pursue things that are not godly. Sometimes we end up in places that are just pure Satanish, pure fleshly. And he says, how about we do this? How about we just get together and start encouraging each other? How about we get together and we provoke each other on toward love and good works so that we can see this sanctifying action at work in our lives? And then he goes on. He says, verse 25, And not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It's very easy to do, right? Y'all with me? If I wasn't a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I probably would have fell out of fellowship by now. But I've got a little bit of a responsibility here, so holds me a little bit more accountable than you. But for some of you, it's a lot easier to say, ah, What's the big deal, right? It's a whole lot easier to say, um, well, uh, one of our family members has got a sniffling nose, so everybody's got to stay home, right? Y'all with me? Or or I, I, I work and I've got this going on and I'm just a little too tired, so Wednesday night rolls around. It'll be okay if I miss. Because again, that accountability is not as strong as it is with somebody like Nick or myself or Ronnie and the youth or, or somebody that is, that is holding a ministry in the place. But I want you to understand something. The Bible commands us to get together and don't neglect it. And for the purpose of understanding that you're not all right. Are you going to sin and, and make each other mad? Well, you better believe that you are. But if you're really family, then we're going to keep coming together. And we're going to keep encouraging each other. And we're going to get this thing right. Again, not because I do everything right. What I mean by getting right is trusting in full assurance of faith that Jesus has covered all of my sins. And so let us not neglect to meet together, but get together and encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day dawning. And then I'm going to end with this right here in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now here's what he's getting at. Because a lot of people will take this verse and say, Well, there it is. If I mess up after receiving this knowledge of the truth, I'm done. He is talking about a specific sin. And what he means here is the sin of Turning away from your faith in Christ. If you you don't have this full assurance of faith, if you don't trust in the blood of Jesus, there ain't no other sacrifice, guys. You can go back and try to follow the old law and do it if you want to. Guess what? You can't do it. You can go back and offer sacrifice after sacrifice. Guess what? It'll never pay for it. So, if you go on sinning, he's talking about the people sinning in the way that they were by turning back and walking away from Christ, and not the sin is not holding on to full assurance of faith. The sin is wavering. And so, I want you to understand if you sin deliberately by doing that, there's no hope. There's no hope. And you will prove that your faith was never genuine, and you will continue to walk into eternal damnation. And so I'm praying this morning that you believe that Christ finished the work that was required for you to be saved. I'm praying that you have trusted in it by faith, that you have seen that you need Him as a Savior. I am praying that you can see the sanctifying work of Christ in your life, that you can see that He's writing His laws on your heart and on your mind and He is changing you and you are not who you once were. And I'm praying that even if you do still see sin in your life that it don't lead you to an evil conscience but it can be a warning light that leads you back to the one that's already covered it. And I'm praying that you will draw near to God and not walk away from him and that you will do so with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And I'm praying that you will draw near to each other and encourage each other. And if you'll do these things, I want you to know you're on your way to knowing that if you sit on your deathbed this evening in spite of your sin condition, I won't have to stand beside of you and hear you say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And let me tell you something, you've never seen fear like that until you look in someone's eyes that's fixing to face their Creator and they don't think they're ready. You don't know fear until you experience that.